And we're live. All right, Pancreation Philosophy, episode 34. I'm your host, Pochola Cruz, and with me today is my guest. Uh, my name is Israel Narvez. I'm probably better known, though, as Izzy. Um, I am a, or was a competitive powerlifter, a former men's national champion in the 148-pound weight class in 2014. And these days, I guess I'd be best defined as some kind of a fitness influencer, as much as I hate those terms. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's essentially what I do. I talk about um, everything to do with uh, really, really strength and uh, physique athletes. Cool. All right, Izzy. Uh, it's funny because I, you know, because I, when we met, I knew you as Tom, but uh, I yeah. guess we'll, we'll, just, we'll just talk about how we met. I know we, we met when we, uh, when we trained martial arts or when we trained uh, mixed martial arts almost, geez, like 10 years ago. Yeah. So I think yeah. probably almost, almost exactly 10 years ago. I think it's probably like nine, but we yeah. met in Kirkland at uh, Matt Hume's uh, gym. I believe that's the first time we met. Yeah. And we ended up finding out that we went to the same school and whatnot. So yeah, kind of an interesting coincidence. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's like yeah, we went to the same school, and we were also, I don't know, lived like no, I, or at the time we lived like no more than like a five minute drive away from each other. So that yeah. was uh, that that was pretty funny. But um, okay, let's just never go back. <laughs> yeah, I just never crossed paths before. Okay, so let's go back to. What made you uh, uh, want to train martial arts? Um, I think, that, honestly, there was, like, a lifelong interest in martial arts, probably mm -hmm. starting as early as, like, four or five years old, watching, as cliche as this is, like, Rocky <laughs> movies. Like, yeah. I wonder how many fucking thousands of people got motivated by those movies. But, yeah, I was definitely um, one of them growing up. Uh, always had an interest in, to be honest, more like more along the lines of like actually fighting. And then when, you know, MMA, when I first became aware of mixed martial arts, that was when I was, you know, already in my late teens, 17, 18. So I started looking into it more and it seemed like something that, you know, I would enjoy as a sport post high school. So kind of something to do physically that would be competitive. Um, that, you know, after high school would, would be kind of hard to typically find as you don't have as many options available for competing. Okay, so you were just looking for something, yeah, after post-high school that you wanted to compete in. Uh, how did you find, or I guess what made you select the, the gym that, or what made you find uh, AMC in Kirkland? I think in general it's kind of just in my nature to do some type of like deep dive research into anything that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I was like legitimately shocked to find out that, you know, one of the main trainers for, um, well, I forget the, the name of the organization at the time. It was like the, it used to be the UFC's main competition, but this is how far, far removed I am from. Yeah. From, yeah. From Pride. Um, yeah. What was it called? It had like. Pride. Pride, yeah, pride. Yeah. So, um, I was like legit, legitimately shocked that, and then you know, looking at his resume, that this was a guy that was like a 15 minute drive from where <laughs> I was staying. So I was like, holy shit, one of the best, literally, like according to everybody, one of like the top three to five coaches in the entire world, is 15 minutes away. Mm -hmm. So that was something that definitely appealed to me, especially because 
I tend to be the type of person who, if I'm going to participate in something, like I'm, I'm going to go as far as I can. Like that's kind of what gives me the enjoyment in the first place is taking it like really seriously and, and seeing how far <laughs> I can push myself. So, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that's basically why I did that as opposed to like, there was, there was actually places that were like closer, like, I don't know, I'm remembering some of the names. Like, there's one in Everett, I think, called Charlie's Combat Clubs. There was, there was, there was other places that were popping up because at the time it was kind of a gold rush. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, ultimately I went with AMC because there were already pros training there. Um, yeah, so it, it just it was kind of, for me, a no-brainer since at the time I thought it might be something that I wanted to push and kind of see how far I could take it. So why not um, go for the best? That's that's always been how I approach things with um, sports. Let's get the best facility, the best coaching that you can in your area. And, you know, I, I consider those variables more important than a lot of other ones. Just in the people that you're around and the environment that you're in is probably more important than the actual particular details of um, the curriculum in many cases. True, true. Okay. And let's see. So, yeah, I remember. So, we, we met there. And then, yeah, we started. I, I Actually, I forget, like, how long uh, how long were you training? About a year. About a year, yeah. And I just, I just remember, um, let's see. Yeah, I remember training and... I mean, what what you said is, is true. Like you do get got really deep into into martial arts because I remember we would, um, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's how we first started like really hanging out. Because I remember, uh, well, I remember mm-hmm. so meeting you at the at the gym at AMC and then realizing that we went to the same we went to the same school, we went to the same college, like from there. And then I recall that pretty much like how I remember, I recall you started. Uh, uh let's see was it the training were were we first lifting in your garage or was it the mat you got mats in your garage i can't remember which came first but uh Um, we started training together yeah i think i think it was the garage but they were fairly simultaneous Mm -hmm. i think i had lifting equipment before those mats and then i cleared out like half of it to (laughs) like (laughs) half the entire half of the garage like uh available to basically i mean basically just for rolling but Mm -hmm. it's funny because at that time i was already training like anywhere from eight to 12 times a week and i got mats to like train even more which is a little ridiculous in hindsight but (laughs) but it it was definitely fun yeah yeah definitely i remember because i forgot like how how it came about but you said like oh yeah i've been training at home like you train at home when when we're not training because i remember we because we were there pretty frequently already like training at the gym and i was like well sounds it didn't it didn't seem like off to me like oh well that seems like a seems like a seems like a good idea why not and then let's yeah once yeah because we yeah went from training at AMC to also then training in your garage and then I remember but um yeah so I'm remembering yeah I was, I was training it in your yeah I was training in your garage and then yet yeah, the the lifting as well and I also remember like learning a lot of uh I'm pretty much, I learned a lot about uh, martial arts from you just because of your big deep dive into it like 
all the uh, Eric Paulson instructionals, and then I guess yeah. just other instructionals that you ended up uh, downloading, and then us uh, us researching like together. And then uh, I guess like what made I mean, I, you kind of mentioned already, but that's kind of your the the way you go about things. Like if you get into something, you look into pretty much a lot of aspects of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, there's like, there's just like a, <laughs> when I get interested in something, it pretty much is either obsession or apathy. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was definitely more towards the obsession side of things. And at the time too, it wasn't, it was a very different marketplace than it is now. You, you had to like dig into all these weird sites to like find, inf- there was like sure dog, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> you, there wasn't, it wasn't as easy to find information. So when you would stumble upon something from like Eric Paulson and it was like a training DVD, it, it's funny because it was almost like, um, I, I don't even know how to create an equivalency where, because of like how everything is available so easily online now, but yeah. I guess it would be like finding like a super rare collectible in like a normal store or something. Yeah. 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 And they were very hard to get. So, and it, it was just cool because at that time, a lot of the, the techniques, hadn't been standardized yet and people weren't as sure about like what what works best it wasn't like it is now where almost like all the top fighters are relatively high level and like like everything it was still people figuring out what styles congealed the best and still like wrestlers dominating a lot so finding like some of these um videos about like leg locks when that hadn't been quite as popularized as it is now was always oh, no for sure yeah, it was like like yeah, leg locks were not in vogue at all. Like it's funny looking how how the landscape changed, but yeah, I mean I know you don't follow it like or martial arts like as frequently, but I mean leg locks are just the uh, what's I mean like everyone's doing leg locks when leg locks have always been around. It's 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 pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. I remember talking to you about it too. You were like, oh man, this is definitely something that we're going to have to learn because it's going to be huge someday. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, I do remember you saying that. And I was like, huh, it, it, interesting. And then it's funny, the evolution, yeah, because the era, I mean, it's funny that it's known as eras, but the era that we started training was interesting because it was kind of a golden age. It was pretty much like post Ultimate Fighter. So I guess the hype around MMA was. I guess the biggest it had been, I would say probably, probably in in, in its existence, it's kind of like I think waning at at the moment. But as far as like looking at, it, I was like, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of interest in MMA at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then yeah, I remember uh, yeah, tr- all these uh yeah deep finds that that you had, and we were. Um, we were, tr- we were training in, in your garage, in your garage gym. And then, uh, let's see. I just re- remember the day when I brought, uh, I brought like my, t- my two, uh, my two East Indian friends and we tried to teach them grappling. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, um, it, well, it was just fun. Cause it just, uh, the, what, what catches in my memory was that I was just so used to just being around people that actually wanted to train that it was kind of weird to uh, almost like try to teach somebody how to uh, not, how to not just train but how to have like an aggressive attitude like towards 
I guess, towards uh, martial arts or like, I guess not even aggressive, but like, like the proper way of, yeah, of, uh, of actually wanting to do something. Like, you know what I mean? You remember, I, you, remember I, I, that? <laughs> you can like pass on competency, I guess, but you can't really pass on aptitude. And yes. And like, that was like the whole, also it's one thing that's become increasingly clear to me, like throughout my life is that some people are just like, not that tough. <laughs> like, I don't mean that like in an insulting way, but there's like just a genetic variation as far as um, like pain tolerance and like what the level of discomfort that you have to rise to before you complain. Mm-hmm. And even just like the ability to tolerate like difficult physical tasks, like even something as simple as like, I don't know, carrying groceries up flights of stairs to your apartment, mm-hmm. like just little, little things like that where you get people that are just, just not that tough. And then you're putting them into a sport that really requires, you know, some of the highest degrees of mental toughness that there is. And it's interesting when they don't have that. It's like, you can teach them the techniques and everything, but um, at the end of the day, mixed martial arts and really any combat sport is two people trying to dominate the other. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little different than... I don't know, billiards, where, where, where it's purely about we're testing skills. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm sure there's some gamesmanship that goes on and you can influence your opponent to a degree, whatever. You know, I use this example for running sometimes and people get mad because they're like, oh no, you can, you can go <laughs> find someone and catch the tailwind and fuck, you know, when you pass is super important and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. That's, that's true, but, uh, how, how does that compare to getting out of, you know, neon stomach or when somebody has you mounted and it's literally like, you know what the technique is, I, I suppose, but a lot of it's going to come down to will and who's the better athlete as well. Exactly. Oh. And, but I think will is an important thing. Cause it's like, it's willingness to essentially damage another person. Like, you know, yeah. you can, you can race somebody, but the goal isn't you necessarily harming the individual. I mean, the individual could, like, I guess, harm themselves while racing, but that's not the end goal of it. Yeah, yeah it, it's definitely, like, there's just, um, again, it's just an aptitude thing, right? Like, in, in much the same way that you're not going to take somebody who's incredibly emotional and artsy, and then, you know, more than likely you're not going to get that person to be, like, a really great accountant. <laughs> yeah. Or, or something that requires, you know, like cold, rational, d- logical decision making. Yeah. Like, no, have them do what they do best. Create like stories and help with TV shows and video game plots and things. I like, don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't take soft, gentle people and be like, "Here's wrestling." <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, for for sure. And that was. Um... Yeah, it was just, I just, well, that just recalls my memory because it was one of the first times, I guess, I was, like, training, like, I guess, other people and then just seeing, like, oh, hey, this, I guess, this thing, just because it works for me doesn't mean it works for everybody. So, yeah, uh, I remember that as being, like, an eye-opening experience there. And then, yeah, I mean, there were just a bunch of funny memories I I remember in the garage. I mean, not necessarily me being in the garage gym, but I remember uh, just being there, like post after some like funny things were happened, like at the house that you were living at at the at the time. Yeah, yeah def- definitely. <laughs> yeah, 
We have like, you know, when you have like lifting sessions with like uh, literally like 12 guys that mm-hmm. for the most part all played competitive sports, but then there would be like two people that didn't. Yes. Who just didn't fit in. Yeah. And it was interesting. It was an interesting mix of um, like environment, testosterone, <laughs> and completely different people. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it was almost like, it was very similar to what happened right after the Ultimate Fighter with MMA, where all these different people were interested in it because of that, and you got people that were popping in for like a few months, mm-hmm. and then like disappearing. <laughs> it was kind of the same thing in the garage, where like all these different people would like invite friends, and some of them would be like artists and rock climbers, and then others were like football players, somebody who wrestled their whole life. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was interesting to see all that come together in like one place where we're all just like lifting weights together yeah yeah yeah. For sure. yeah for sure and then i guess so what um i guess so what what shifted i guess in your look at uh at lifting that made it or what i guess what about lifting made it become more more of a focus like for you yeah that's a good question um I think there was a couple things. The main thing that happened is just, you know, pure cir- um, circumstance was I mm-hmm. was trying to fight out of a heel hook or something, I believe. And then I pushed it just a little too far and ended up like spraining my knee. So I couldn't really like pivot or cut or do anything that required any sort of like uh, movement in a, like in any of, in any plane, really. So. Yeah. And anything that required any kind of lateral movement or shifting, I couldn't do for like four weeks. This has ended up being like not that serious of a sprain, but serious enough that I couldn't really train. Yeah. And that was like coming off of training, um, like I said, probably eight to 12 times a week. So I went from that, which was like, it was based on my whole life at the time, literally like, you know, up to four, six hours a day. And a lot of my day was like planned around getting to the next training session. Yeah. So then that was just gone for like four weeks. And I ended up, um, the only thing I could really do was lift. And so mm-hmm. I was, I ended up, you know, talking to a few people during that time period who were like, you know, like if you competed in powerlifting right now, you would set state records in like every lift for your weight class. Oh, damn. So I ended up basically just finding out, because uh, I got, I gained like probably like during that four weeks while I wasn't training. I was probably training at like around 140 to 145 pounds most of the time. Yeah. And then in that like four weeks of just, just four weeks of not training and just only lifting, I probably got up to like 170 and I don't think I gained like that much fat. (laughs) So, so I got way stronger. Like I'm talking about, like I doubled or even, yeah, or even slightly more like all of the main big lifts, like squats, bench press, deadlifts, literally like doubled my poundages on a lot of that stuff. Probably also due to just like not overtraining anymore because <laughs> yes. I was def- definitely overtraining for somebody who was a complete novice to the sport. But yeah, so that kind of got my, that kind of sparked my interest on top of the fact that as we've already alluded to a little bit here, I was already running a garage gym. Yeah. And at the time I had aspirations to actually like open like a small warehouse and have members and um, you know, make a living as like a gym owner. So that was something that I was really considering. Yeah. And when I, when I hurt my knee, I, I kind of just started gaining more and more momentum towards lifting. 
and uh, it just kind of became the next obsession for me, I guess. So I would say that there was kind of a few phases and, and stages that I went through, and MMA was kind of one of those in my teens and early 20s where I was still trying to figure out what I was good at mm-hmm. and what I was going to do. And just for whatever reason, I ended up sticking with lifting. So who knows? You know, I sometimes wonder about, you know, if I would have ended up being better as, um, you know, in in the world of martial arts, whether that be mixed martial arts or maybe just grappling in particular, since I I think I was probably better at that than the striking elements, just naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, But who knows? You know, who knows what would have happened if I would have stuck with that instead. It's really, really hard to introspect while time traveling i got <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what i was thinking at 19 right yeah oh, so, no, oh no for sure what were any of us really thinking at at 19 but or how at, at, at any point it's hard to put yourself back into yeah. like what your mindset was but i just remember you know from third person like seeing like our well our ourselves when we were 19 and i guess realizing uh or just seeing, seeing the shift in you, because I do recall, like, we were, you know, about the same weight, like, about, you know, around, like, 140, 150, and then, yeah, when you did, I was like, oh, hey, what's what's happening, because I, I found out that you did get injured, and then I think I saw you, or I think we were still training, I think we were still, like, lifting together, and I saw, oh, wow, you got, like, a lot, yeah, you did, you got, like, a lot bigger in, like, a short amount of span, or a short amount of time in that, in that span, so I guess, like, seeing... I guess I kind of recall that uh, recall that shift, I guess, in your in your focus as well, like from there. Yeah, and so I I did I did end up like you know, um, learning more about powerlifting and like setting mm-hmm. some records and eventually going to nationals and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. once I kind of got some momentum with it, and it turns out that I was like like uh, as far as genetics go, decently gifted in that sport, and people were interested in what I had to say about it. It ended up becoming like a source of income for me and it was, you know, things just aligned where it made more sense to base my life around that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess that's kind of where the shift away from martial arts happened. But, you know, there's like, honestly, there's always been and there always like is even to this day, a part of me that misses that kind of training. And even I've even had periods where you know, I got really sick of lifting. This has happened more than once. Yeah. Where I would where I would spend like three to six months actually going back to grappling. Now I never yeah. went back to like training eight to twelve times a week, but there was like I said at least two periods that I can think of off the top of my head of about three to six months where I did go back, and you know train three, four, sometimes like five times a week, just because I felt like well one I I to this day really enjoy it and I would actually do it now if it wasn't if I didn't believe that it would interfere with my progress. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's definitely something that even I expect to once I, you know, this sounds so silly to me, but like retire, <laughs> retire, retire yeah. from lifting, um, yeah, yeah. which I will never completely do, but like retire from taking it super seriously and having it as like, you know, my main source of income and profession and all that. Mm-hmm. I will definitely get back into probably doing some kind of jujitsu just because I feel like that's out of all the things I've tried, probably the least stressful on my joints which is mm-hmm. something that i have to be more mindful of after 10 years yeah. of hardcore lifting yeah but yeah i mean so that's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about because the the part of the answer to that question is like well i never really did stop loving training 
like training in general, like grappling, mm-hmm. even boxing and kickboxing. Like I, I still do like that stuff. <laughs> you know, it's just that when, right now, you know, when I, I train, I still train six, sometimes seven days a week, multiple times a day sometimes for lifting. So it's like yeah. putting that stuff in, I'm already pushing my body to the limit of what it can recover from. Mm-hmm. And there's just not room for jujitsu or anything else right now. But, you know, if I was not as serious as I am about my lifting, then it's something that I would still be doing for sure. Yeah. No, but I, yeah, I think it's just that it's just that growing up kind of thing when you realize that you can really only focus on, on, uh, well, focus like mentally and also like your body can only physically take like so much, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of activity, like from there. And I think it's because, like from, from the big difference I see, because I remember when we when we were training like together, you were because uh, I think yeah because yeah you pretty you're, you were overtraining yourself for sure, and then your body was showing that, and then uh, I mean yeah if you added if you did add like martial arts to your already like pretty intense regimen, that's not yeah it's not gonna it's gonna affect your performance. So instead of being proficient at one thing, you just be you know, you'd be hindering your performance like overall by by adding something that you might you don't necessarily, I guess, need to to do at that point. Yeah, I mean, like whether it's powerlifting or bodybuilding or strongman, yeah. you're you're never gonna hear of like oh you, there might be like one guy out there that can like disprove this, but mm-hmm. you're, you're probably not gonna hear of somebody who is like a black belt in jujitsu and also a pro strongman or you know, there's not going to be an IFBB pro bodybuilder who's getting top 10 at Mr. Olympia who um, does smokers in the off season. Yeah. You know I mean, it's like yeah. that, that, that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just, I guess it's kind of just like, as I've alluded to before, as part of my personality where if I'm going to do something, I really get, and I think this is part of why we connected as well. Like I, I get more joy out of like the depth of things than doing like a whole bunch of different things. So I feel like I can learn more about myself and life by pushing something further and deeper. Like, you, uh, like the more, the farther that you have to go to continue to get better, mm-hmm. almost, it almost pushes you in the direction of like these universal concepts and truths about life. Now, <laughs> I didn't mean to make that as philosophical, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, cause like you get to a certain level in something and then. Like even just the topic that we're talking about right now, where you're talking about like, oh, yeah, eventually you realize that you have to choose and you can only be your best at one thing. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe maybe two in certain circumstances. But, yeah, you know, I feel like that that's what ends up happening is that over over the years, if you want to keep getting better, it slowly forces you to evolve in every way. Like I remember my initial nutrition for martial arts and lifting was like, I'd come home from training and like slam of the biggest bowl of fruit loops, like the biggest bowl <laughs> in our house. I would fill it up with like fruit loops as high as yeah. I could and try to eat it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I thought I needed like a lot of carbs to recover from the, from rolling. So yeah. like, I, I just didn't know what I was doing at all. I didn't <laughs> measure or count anything. I didn't pretty much didn't even eat vegetables. Yeah. So you know, just over the years, learning more about nutrition and perfecting that. And you kind of see this in all different types of athletes, at least the ones that want to continue to get better. You know, they, they start to systematize things. They start to hire professionals to handle certain aspects. They actually take their recovery seriously. 
you know, they, they get a chiropractor or a massage therapist or they learn about sleep hygiene and start to get religious about how much sleep they get. Mm-hmm. You see like this evolution that happens where, and especially in your mindset, right? Dealing yeah. with the ups and downs and the daily grind. Mm-hmm. These things have to happen if you're going to continue to get better. And I feel like although you miss out on a lot when you do, when one thing becomes your whole life, as far as variety goes, mm-hmm. I feel like you know, especially with something like martial arts or even lifting, because there's parallels there as individual sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you take yourself on a journey of, um, in the end, self-discovery, because if you want to continue to get better, and I don't really know any athletes that ever just say, okay, I'm done getting better. <laughs> you Stop you it have, getting better now. Yeah. yeah. You have to keep facing like your own bullshit. You have to keep looking at your current paradigm and continuing to evaluate whether or not there's something better. It's like the analogy that I've always loved for this is, you know, let's say your goal is to climb, you know, the highest peak possible. So as an athlete, you know, the equivalent of that would be to reach the highest level in your sport that you're capable of. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at the peaks of the mountains, they're obscured by clouds. So only thing you can really do is just, you know, maybe you could ask somebody, but let's say nobody knows, right? Yeah. So you have to just guess which which peak is going to be the tallest. And once you climb it and you get up past the clouds, maybe then you see another peak that's taller. And you have to go through this process of being willing to walk back down the mountain, be a student again, and, and then go back up another peak and see if there's, you know, a higher peak beyond that. So it constantly forces you to adapt a new lifestyle, um, acquire new paradigms, new ways of looking at the world. Because you have to keep getting better. And so it's it's this one objective thing that drives your behavior in a direction that, that actually, you know, co- uh, that will allow for that improvement to occur, which is not going to happen if, you know, the way that you structure your life is like, and nothing against people that do this, but if you structure your life as like, I want to try all the different foods or all the different wines or see all the different places you know, that's great too, but it's not the same, it's not the same thing as, as the pursuit of mastery that, you know, athletes or martial artists or even in, you know, you know, there's other, there's other uh, pursuits where that's the case as well, such as like math or chess or, you know, there's a, there's a lot of them, but the pursuit of mastery has always been a huge appeal to me. And I think, you know, martial arts in many ways epitomizes that, that journey. Yeah, for sure. I think I think yeah, I think that our pursuit of mastery is pretty much yeah. Why I think why we got along so well and just we both understood like what it it's I get what what it took to get to I guess to get to a certain to a certain level and to keep wanting to improve upon that and like realizing that optimization of of your life. Is, is important for you to reach those goals and uh yeah i guess yeah i mean as you see like pretty much hacking away like the the, the non-essential things in your life like isn't i'm pretty sure that's like a bruce lee quote there but just seeing yeah, yeah i think because that's what i always saw from you is that you were very good at um like yeah to, at, or at looking looking at things to get better and like ways to optimize your life and that's what i what that's what i was thinking about uh, seeing the way that, that you approach things because it's you're uh, getting a, a great no- or gaining as much knowledge as you can on a subject but as well as getting knowledge is the action 
of uh, also of also following through and like actually working on achieving what you want to achieve. And I think that's uh, I mean, I think I think that's a big thing because I remember uh, okay because we would always like talk about this about I guess reaching goals about what about what we're trying to uh, you know about what we're trying to do with with our lives like from there. But I think like the focus and the the drivenness was an important thing and i remember we would also have like long conversations about uh what's what we call them, like high performers or pretty much like you know high performing athletes and like what separates them and i i know that that was a a thing that we would talk about constantly and then just seeing like what the you know underlying qualities that the lie in people who are you know high performers like elite uh, elite in their field and what's you know what the commonality is like between them and I think that was always like fascinating conversation like from there and I guess um, it, I mean it just showed that you know you just wanted to like to get you know to, to get better whatever you were doing or it was just your mentality but I guess like back to the uh, commonalities for um, I guess for high performers like I guess what, what were some things that when you're researching like when you're talking about you know non-essential stuff, like what stuff did you uh, did you try to do, like as you're trying to optimize your life? I mean, there's there's been so many things, and I feel yes. like there's, there's almost like a, um, a, a a continuum of compliance, mm-hmm. where it's like you you <laughs> kind of know what you have to do to get to where you need to go to yeah. a degree, because there's so many unknown unknowns mm-hmm. as well, but like. Yeah. You already at the very beginning know that there's a bunch of shit that you're doing that's not optimal, right? Yes. But what happens is that you just don't get the requisite motivation to take the next step up the ladder until there's nothing else that you can do besides like finally face it and take the step. And so what I mean by that is like you will push for as long as you can without having to get rid of things that you like until you have to, to keep improving. So like that, that pressure is just not there in most things that in most ways that people live, but as an athlete, it eventually will cap out your improvement. And since that's usually intolerable for like a high performer, you end up making the choice. So, I mean, there's so many, but like a good one would be, you know, just cutting out people that aren't like really hard one is cutting out people that just don't that aren't conducive to the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No matter who they are. And that that can be a really hard one because it could be like childhood friends. But if it's like somebody that's constantly inviting you to go out and get like drunk or, you know, like it, constant peer pressure in bad ways. And, and this is such a, a cliche example, but the reason, the reason why is because it, almost every athlete goes through this and it's one of the harder ones mm-hmm. where – or it can be, and I, you know, for some, sometimes, you know, these people just fall away because um, they see the lifestyle that you're living and they know that they can't interfere anyway. So they almost just like quit trying. But yeah, ultimately, I think the falling away of people mm-hmm. and it, there's almost like an isolation that occurs where you have like your support group um, of peers, basically people that are in the same sport or at least have a similar mindset and, and, and some type of uh, pursuit of mastery of their own and then you know maybe like your close family your close friends who get it and like maybe a girlfriend or something right but it, it's difficult because it it is a lonelier lifestyle i think almost unilaterally than what most people live because most people not only don't get it but they get in the way yes and yeah. 
and that and again like there's a, you can only get to a certain level before you have to anally control your environment like and there's there's other things that I, I remember that were like so hard for me that ended up being like keystone habits which I don't know if how much I want to rant on that but like <laughs> like briefly like what they found when they studied like habits is they t- they find these individuals who like quit smoking or something right mm-hmm. and from that one key change in their habits they would all of a sudden like lose all this weight start making more money have better relationships and what they found was that you, when you can apply like the discipline to change one thing it actually creates a pathway in the brain for where you can now change behavior Ah. so and then that pathway gets strengthened over time and you're able to change more behaviors essentially so the exact same thing happens as like an athlete but i remember one of the biggest challenges for me was like finally convincing myself that i needed to have like a set bedtime and wake time yeah and that and that it wasn't like 3 (laughs) a.m like and and that and that you know the late the late night games of uh i never liked call of duty but like you know the late night games of call of duty or fucking you know, StarCraft had to stop. Yeah. yeah. And that those, and I actually completely quit playing video games for the most part, mm-hmm. um, just because I've, I, you know, personally found that they're so addictive for me that I, it would, it would almost inevitably end up where I'd stay up, you know, like 30 minutes too late one night, and then if I kept playing the game progressively months later, it'd be like yeah. a couple nights here and there where I was up two hours too late, and at that point you're really shooting yourself in the foot as far as recovery. Like even a single night like that can mess up really your whole training week, mm-hmm. especially yeah. in, in lifting where it's like the amount of stress that you're imparting is very precise. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, 12 sets of squats per week might not be enough to make you stronger, but mm-hmm. 15 sets of squats per week might be pushing you into that overreaching area. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't get perfect sleep, you might not be able to recover from 12 sets. So you just yeah. can't make progress anymore. Whereas, uh, like, when you're a beginner, that that gap is huge. Like, you can do they've, – they've done studies on people who are un- untrained, and yeah. running on a treadmill will increase their quadriceps size. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when you're just starting, you can get away with almost anything. But as you continue to improve, you start to walk this razor's edge of what is actually possible to recover from. Yes. And – even a single variable being out of place can push you off that edge to the point where now you're no longer able to recover from an amount of training volume that would actually improve you. Mm-hmm. And I think people underestimate these things. And as that, that, that gap narrows and narrows and narrows, you know, 10 years into it at this point for both of us are pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Um, you just can't afford to do things like miss a meal or have a day where you eat 1,000 calories less than you're supposed to. You can't afford to have a day where you just don't feel like training, so you just don't go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that kind of stuff you could get away with at the beginning and still make improvements. Yeah. You know, or like you, you can't do the whole thing of get one to two hours less sleep during the week and then catch up on the weekend. They even did – there was a study that came out recently on this for um, – where they looked at changes in body composition and I'm not even making this up and I know it's an extreme example, but there've been other studies that had a smaller effect size. So what they found was that people, so they had two groups, right? One group that got enough sleep all week and then another group where they only had them decrease their normal sleeping time by one hour, Monday through Friday. And then mm-hmm. they were allowed to catch up on the weekend as much as they wanted. Mm-hmm. And the group that even had a one hour sleep debt during the week 
they lost per pound of weight lost 80% was lean body mass and 20% was fat for the group. Yeah, it's incredible. And for the group that had enough sleep throughout the entire week, 80% per pound of weight loss was fat. 20% was lean body mass. Now that's a very extreme example, but there's other studies that show it going from 80, 20, which is very typical. So Mm -hmm. typical fat loss diet with good recovery will result in about 80% fat loss, 20% lean body mass. There's studies where even moderate sleep debt decreases that ratio to more like 50, 50. Hmm. So, and this is an untrained or low, like low trained populations of like kids that they recruited from a college campus or grandpas and stuff. So imagine talking about somebody that's been training in a particular sport for 10 years. Yeah. You can't afford these things. Like Mm -hmm. you just, you just cannot afford it because you, you literally can no longer make progress without perfection. Yes. Now, and I don't know that I'm necessarily at that level, but that's like what I constantly shoot for just because, um, you know, if you don't, if you don't start chipping away at that stone by the time that you need it to be broken, it's, it, it's almost impenetrable. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm personally constantly working on those habits and it's just not something that you can do overnight. Um, that, I think that's a big, a, a big takeaway for me as well, is that there's no way that, you know, in week one of training for lifting or grappling or martial arts that I could have put all these habits into place, even if I had known that they were the best practices, mm-hmm. because all the experiences that built up wouldn't have been there. The pain of a loss, um, working for 12 weeks on a training cycle and lifting, for example, and not setting PRs yeah. and knowing it was because that your nutrition wasn't good enough. Like little things like that make it so that in your next training cycle or before your next bout, you're just you're just not gonna make those mistakes because mm-hmm. for most high performers, like that the pain of that loss is too significant. Yeah. So, it's like building those mental scars there. Exactly. Yeah. And so those those mental scars get built and you have this emotional ammo to go behind the logic mm-hmm. where where you just you just don't do it anymore. Like I I, I don't even know the last time that I missed a planned training session. Now that's not to say that I don't plan like complete time off sometimes because mm-hmm. I think athletes in general tend to overtrain and, and they're afraid like high performers are actually afraid to take time off. Yes. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, most Olympians in a four year, like Olympiad training cycle will take like three to six months off. Mm-hmm. A lot of those don't know that just completely off, just completely stop training yeah. and come back and win medals. So you know, there's definitely some research to support like complete time off. But the point that I'm really making is that it's all periodized to a plan. And there's a plan that you stick to and you don't compromise for anything. <laughs> and and yeah. uh, normal people can't handle it and they yes. can't relate. And it, and it makes it really hard to integrate people into your life. And so I think these, that's, that's kind of finally tying this back into the point that I wanted to make as far as like, you know, commonalities between high performers yeah. is that they just don't make the compromise. They just yes. don't. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's very true. And I think as well, no, you bring up a great point about the, the razor's edge between uh, success and failure as you are, in terms of just not even success or failure between progress and pre and either regression or staying where you're at just gets just gets more and more uh it's, it's, the window gets like smaller and smaller like as you pretty much as you progress in whatever you're trying to go 
or yeah. whatever you're trying to master. It's like, because that's the thing, because progression, I mean, we talked to us, it's not like a steady increase. If anything, it's regressive. Like the more, like as, as you improve on something, it's going to take more and more effort to progress even less in like towards where your goal is. It's like a, it's a regressive curve from there. And I think that's the thing a lot of people don't, don't understand because they're not really masters or they're not really that level at anything in, in their lives. Because you know, yeah, or try. Yeah. Yeah, never try to do. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And I agree with that. Like, uh, you know, a hundred percent. And that's, and that's a, a difficult thing to help somebody understand who hasn't experienced it. Yes. Because at the end of the day, like they don't, they will never be the person that, that you know, had to stand next to somebody else with their hand raised. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They will never, yeah. you can't um, impart that emotional impact. Mm-hmm. So to them, it just looks like you're being a psycho when, yeah. <laughs> when you, when you're adamant about getting your eight to 10 hours of sleep every night. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you say that to somebody. I mean, for me, that makes you know that that, that makes great sense because, but that's because I I, I understand because I know, I mean, I I mean, I don't quite know. I mean, exactly about the powerlifting or about lifting or about you know training goals, but I understand about you know improvement and stuff and you know how. Yeah, there's a lot of very like if you're not willing to control the variables you can control then then what are, what are you doing that doesn't make any sense to me like people that are trying to that, that's why it's like you know conversing with people that you know have goals but then are doing nothing to uh to try to achieve them it's always like questionable to me like wait are those really your goals like how, how are they your goals if you're not doing everything in, in your power to try it out try and complete them and that's i think and i think that's just uh you know a dr- um a personal bias or just like looking at things yeah. through my own life or people that I've known because I've just been surrounded by people who have been, you know, successful in their own field. So I yeah, think that's actually yeah. like a selection criteria for what we do. Yeah. So they, they've done, I talk about this all the time, but they did, they did a survey on Olympic athletes where they asked them, you know, would you take this pill that guarantees a gold medal, but you'll die in five years? Mm-hmm. And like 80% of them said yes. Mm-hmm. And then they asked the same question to people who are not competitive athletes and 2% said yes. Yeah. yeah. So the re- what, what happens is I think that there's this mentality and I don't know how much of it is developed and how much of it is just selected for in high level out al- in high level athletes. Mm-hmm. Like anything, it's probably a combination. Yeah. But yeah. Um, there's this mentality of, doing whatever it takes and sticking to the objective purity of the sport. So what what I mean by that is, you know, let's say from a powerlifting perspective, powerlifting is the easiest sport to talk about this in because like if you bench 310 pounds and, mm-hmm. and then at the end of your training cycle, you bench 315 pounds, there is a five pound measurable improvement. It's a pure, obje- purely objective. Whereas mm-hmm. like, even if we're talking about something like, mixed martial arts, right? Do you, are you able to differentiate or ascertain or measure a 5% improvement in like your grappling ability? <laughs> yeah. Like, like what the fuck? <laughs> like yeah, probably yeah, how, yeah, exactly. Like how, how do you even measure that? Yeah. yeah. So it, powerlifting is like this interesting little microcosm in, of, uh, of, of this 
progress thing that we're talking about because you can you can see it right it's tangible and measurable so the, the thing is is that what most people do in life is uh there's just multiple concerns so the, the, the true high-performing competitive athlete only cares if that number goes from 310 to 315 or whatever the numbers are, right? However, when we're talking about people like quote-unquote normal people, and I don't mean that to be derisive in any way, there's yeah. other things in there. So just for example, like they might want that to go from 310 to 315, but they also want their six-pack. And they also want to be able to have a couple beers on Fridays and Saturdays. Mm -hmm. And they also want to um, go hiking with their dog. And so, so it's just like it, it goes from the, the pure objectivity of sport, which is to win. That's yeah. what sports are about. Win. Nothing else matters. You either win or you do what it's, you're doing what it takes to increase your chances to win. That, that is like what makes sports a pure pursuit is that it's about, at the end of the day, winning. Mm -hmm. Now, when you start adding in, like, I want to win, but I want to be pretty, I want to win, <laughs> be pretty, and have, like, a normal social life, that's when you're adding in, like, these arbitrary criteria. Mm -hmm. And it's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But then it becomes an individualized puzzle where only you can answer where how, how many shares of your attention and focus each little category gets and it's no longer objective right it's kind of just like and it's much easier to bullshit yourself yeah. where you're like well maybe i didn't make my you know five pound improvement on my bench press but i'm prettier and i went on a lot of hikes with my dog so it, overall when you look at my entire goal set i'm moving forward mm -hmm. right yeah and then the problem is that this goal set is tends to also like be a revolving door so like things come and go in the goal set and <laughs> a high level is never really achieved in anything yeah yeah because it's, it's like a revolving door yeah exactly you know it's definitely possible i know i know multi-sport athletes especially yeah. in my world where it's a little easier to do because mm -hmm. even the best power lifters in the world aren't putting in more than 20 hours per week in the gym just mm -hmm. because you can't yeah so it kind of creates this interesting thing where you can be good at more than one thing. So you, you do have situations where there's like actual professional bodybuilders that have held powerlifting records, for example, just for oh, example, okay. right? Okay. So it, it, it is actually a thing that happens more so in my world. Mm -hmm. Although in, I would say in mixed martial arts, it's not that uncommon to yeah. have somebody who's like, let's say an incredibly high level sport BJJ grappler, right? Yeah. But then they also are high level, um, you know, full on mixed martial arts competitor and maybe even in the UFC, maybe even like top 10 in their weight class. Yeah. Those types of things have definitely happened. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like Jakare or some people, somebody like that, right? Yeah. Where, where you have a guy who's a high level sport grappler, but still very competitive in full on MMA. So it's not like unheard of, right? But those mm -hmm. things are highly related. It's not, it's never like, yeah, Except something like, completely different, like a high-level billiards player and also a high-level mixed martial artist. Yeah. Exactly. It's a bodybuilder yeah. and a powerlifter, right? It's not yeah. It's not fucking beer pong champion who also <laughs> – yeah, it's not yeah. – you see what I'm getting at. So Yeah. But, but even something like that highly complicates things, right? Because mm -hmm. at what point do you have to sit down with this guy and be like, look, if you want to get from number seven to – six and potentially higher 
and start beating some of these guys that you can't get past right now, you might need to leave the sport grappling alone for good. Mm-hmm. But then you have like Bo Jackson or somebody who plays three sports and goes pro in all of them. Yeah. So, but the like freaks, freak, freaks gonna freak, but. For most no, exactly. People. That's that. That's such an anomaly that yeah, I mean, there's exactly. a reason why there's a reason why he it's that's there's a reason why he's so well known. It's because that doesn't happen. It just yeah, it it just doesn't happen like that. I mean, yeah, it, it happened once in like yeah. How, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think that's I think that's the hardest part of what we're talking about is that yeah. uh, if you're it's the back to the Bruce Lee quote, right? You're hacking yeah. away the things that don't matter. Yeah. But it is it isn't just material things. That's no. what it's, it's it's almost like eliminating all things that don't matter. <laughs> even yeah. Yeah. even thoughts. Yes. Even thought patterns. Yeah. Where there's a point in your athletic training where you realize that you can no longer indulge in things like doubt. Where it's yeah. just like it's not doing anything productive. So you have to have like this skill set for being able to actually manage the thoughts that happen to you. And I'm not saying that the best champions, you know, never doubt what the results or anything like that. It's it's just that it's going to be a lot less frequent than than a lower level athlete, where you know you just yeah. you just can't it's controlling it. For yeah, sure. yeah, because thoughts are going to happen. But I think that's a big thing. Or I remember, yeah, I remember we talked about this. It's like it's like having control of, or it's realizing that your thoughts. Are, are not necessarily you. Like you have to control your yeah. thoughts like from there. Like not yeah. not conflating your identity with with thoughts and emotions. So it's, it's even built into the English language, right? This is a Eckhart Tolle quote that we used to talk about a lot. Yes. Where when we talk about emotions, people will say I am angry versus I feel anger, which yeah. is really two different things. Because in the first one, you're conflating an emotion with who you are. Mm-hmm. Versus something that is happening to you. And on a biological level, it is just a chemical reaction inside your body that you don't have to indulge. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, things like meditation teach you that. But so do sports, right? Yeah. Yes. Like the anxiety of getting beat or when you're extremely tired and you still have to perform. Just mm-hmm. dissociating from the tiredness and forcing your body, not even forcing, but making your body do the things that it's supposed to do without indulging in this whole thought process of I'm tired, my muscles are burning, my lungs are burning, I have nothing left. And you just do the thing that needs to be done. And I remember like in, in mixed martial arts in particular, but this happens in lifting too. One of the, the mindsets that you almost have to get over is like the ultra aggression thing. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, I'm going to fuck this guy up. bro. <laughs> Because yeah. you just gas out and it's not productive and messes up your technique. You become stiff. Yes. All these things. It's just stuff that people wouldn't even think about, really. Like, really. Yeah, like how many people <laughs> were. Yeah, like, I, it's even little things, too, like, that I've noticed that I do. Where, mm-hmm. like, if, if somebody is, like, annoying to me, I, I just block them. Yes. Yeah. Like, if somebody is, is taking away any of my precious energy... I just immediately block them. Like I have like no tolerance and people are like, that was kind of like harsh and fast. And I guess, I'm like, I guess you're right. It kind of is, but it's something that's built up because, yeah, you know, well, I've had these experiences where I'm training and I'm thinking about some Facebook argument that I had earlier in the day. Yeah. And, and that takes and away that, from you. Yeah. yeah. That set that I'm doing is now compromised or that drill that you're doing has now been compromised because your focus was not at a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And 
people are like, dude, you're, you literally sound like psychotic right now. Like, you know, you can't, <laughs> why are you focusing on like a one little blip in concentration? And, and it's just because you, as an athlete, you know that all you can do is control the things that you can control. And that's one of the things that you can control. And if it increases your chances to win even, you know, 1% in the long run for an athlete, eventually you're going to make that a high performer anyway, where, you know, winning is what they're trying to do at all costs. You eventually make those shifts because you run out of ways to progress otherwise. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, again, you have, that's a loud plane, but you have no other That is a loud plane, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, but it's like, it's, yeah, realizing that the little things, the little things add up. And it's like realizing that uh, what, you know, what may seem inconsequential to other people, you know, it does, like, it does matter. Well, it's because you've just been in it so long, you realize that, yeah, your focus can't take, you know, it's it's like that sh- it's that sharpening. You realize, oh, because that window is like so small, I can't let anything you know derive from that. But no, because I, I feel the same way. Like when t- terms of uh, um, yeah, in t- terms of annoying things, it's like yeah, it, I immediately like pay less, like pay no attention to it. It can't, it can't. Whether it's you know a person or a sound, it's like yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to bother my time or my my, I guess attention to something that's you know that's unessential to me so it's, yeah. it's just, no it's just how it is it's like yeah. um yeah that 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 that's how it should or i guess not not necessarily that's how it should be but it's just how i process it in my mind I'm like oh this is a distraction i don't need that and then i, I walk away or you know stop paying attention to it well i mean again i think i think talking about this from an athlete's perspective is fascinating because yeah. these these lessons become more clear in the realm of athletics, I think, because mm-hmm. there is such a clear objective versus like if you're a CEO or something where, yeah, maybe the bottom line is to make, just make as much money as possible, but it's not always as clear, like how, what, what the goal is outside yeah. of sports. Yeah. Like what success is in terms yeah, of. Yeah. It's not always as clear. Uh, yeah. Whereas it is objective in most sports, what success is. Mm-hmm. And, um, where, oh man, where I was going with that is, let's see, what was the point that I wanted to make? Oh, it was a good one too. Um, I don't know. I forgot. That sucks. But <laughs> oh, damn, was it something to do with business, or was it tying it back to athletics? Or... Yeah, we're just talking about what were we talking about? We're talking about focus. And... Yeah. yeah, we're talking about focus, and then talking about. Uh why people like don't meet their goals and then you're talking about how you know sometimes like people their goals it's like a revolving door or it's Mm -hmm. it's not they're not really focusing on one thing yeah i i can't remember which is ironic given what what we're talking about (laughs) no yeah no but it's happens with the train of thought sometimes it moves so fast and you're like yeah yeah and like oh wait where are we going but um no it's all good how about i guess in terms of okay so you brought up business so i guess i mean you do run your own business how does i guess how has that how has that been like how is this you know because i remember uh back when you were you know considering you know doing uh you know training and coaching people and now you are at the fact where you are doing that so how was that shift to it becoming an idea to it becoming actuality um 
honestly, the very first people that I ended up coaching for money approached me and like wow. offered, yeah. offered okay. me money to do it. Uh, it wasn't even something that I was considering at the time. So when I started my powerlifting website, my end goal was really to like sell eBooks and affiliate products. Okay. Coaching as a service, like which has exploded, things like Instagram, where you yeah. provide people like their training program and you know give them remote feedback on technique and and maybe even give them like a full nutrition plan as well. That didn't even exist. Yeah, that wasn't a thing. So I, I didn't I had no concept of that um, when I started. So it was really somebody else that approached me and said, "Hey, you know, I would like to get individualized attention from you personally." You know, how can we make that happen? And I was like, well, you know, I live in Las Vegas and, and you're in Thailand. Yeah. And so it was kind of that was kind of the begin, beginning of realizing that I could do this remotely. And then once I realized that um, from there, it was just a matter of, again, I, I think this is part of the direction that I wanted to go in where throughout I was talking about, yeah. where the, the things that you learn from this pursuit of mastery particularly in sports where, again, it's clear what success is, is that it just applies to anything. Yeah. Like it just it just applies to anything, and it depends on how far you want to push it, right? With sports, you know, in a high performer, they're, they're wanting to push it as far as possible, which is what allows you to learn, you know, like I think some of the deeper lessons because you, you almost just can't learn them until, like, it's the next thing that you have to do to continue to progress. Because like you're just you're just not ready for that yet. Like it's not even necessary. If it's not necessary to progress, you know, you're not going to go for like, you're not going to find out what's on page 350 before you read page 349. Yeah, kind of is what the you, deal. Yeah, is. you almost have to you almost have to put yourself in like a force. I guess I don't know for, but you almost have to put yourself into that situation where you have to grow. From there. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, sports themselves are a crucible for growth. And yeah. what you realize is that, like, the blueprint can be applied to anything. And it's just that with business, my goal set is different because, like, it's not my goal to be, at least right now, especially with my, like, fitness business, I'm not trying to, like, take over the world and become, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to become a, a fitness billionaire or something. My goal was really to support my lifestyle and allow me to train and eat however I wanted because um, this is another part of where I wanted to go. So it's coming back to me, which is great, yeah. is that if you look at this again, athletics creates this environment where we can evaluate these things from like an extreme end of continuum, which makes them easier to visualize like um, theoretically. So yeah. it's almost like when you're, you know, discussing philosophy with someone and you use like a really hardcore extreme example, like, would you kill Hitler <laughs> when he yeah. was a baby yeah. or something like that? Right. Yeah. So uh, athletics kind of serve like that because a uh, serve as a similar role because of how pure the objective is. Yeah. And from an athletics perspective, like literally the best lifestyle that you could live mm. is Whenever you're not training, you're relaxing. Like, 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 yeah. like yeah. that would be that would be the the thing that you would do to maximize your results. Literally, whenever you're not training, you are I don't know laying around or in the research. You know what's called <laughs> compassionate touching, which means that which is basically a code word for cuddling and having sex. Yeah. So, like, these are the things that promote the most recovery. It's like relaxation so um 
<laughs> when you when you consider it from that perspective of like controlling everything that you can control, it, it, it gets so extreme, right? So it can be as extreme as you want it to be, where where if you were as, if you wanted to get almost neurotic with it, you know, you have your two or three training sessions a day if you're a pro athlete. And then in between all of that, you're literally like taking naps, getting massages, having sex, eating, and, and probably like just l- nothing, right? Like mm-hmm. playing with your dog because that would be compassionate touching too. So, but you'd be minimizing any kind of activity just to maximize recovery. Yeah. And I think what people don't realize is that, again, this stuff applies to you wh- whatever your lifestyle is like. Yeah. So even if you're just like if you're a you know a salesman, maximizing performance in sales follows a similar, if not the exact same, overarching process as getting better at a sport. Mm-hmm. And and what that is is that you develop a process, an actual process for improvement, and it becomes a living system. Mm-hmm. Like I have a living system for my lifestyle that automatically generates progress yeah and it's so precise at this point that i can actually tweak one variable like say you know going from i'm trying to think of something not super extreme but say going like adding um an additional 50 carbs before training or something right okay and i can evaluate the effect that that has because everything else is going to remain consistent yeah and over and over time you build up all these little processes that that become habitual and automatic. Like mm. before all my training sessions, one of the things that I've always done or I have for many years is listen to like on the way to the gym, I'll listen to um, motivational videos, which of course can be incredibly cheesy at times. Yeah. But right before like physical activity, when, it, when it's kind of more like highlight video style mm-hmm. with like a, you know, a cool song and, and just little clips of people talking versus yeah. like a 30 minute motivational speech from Tony Robbins or something. <laughs> I've always yeah. found that personally that gets me in a, um, a better baseline mood to train. Mm-hmm. Now it, it isn't perfect. Like sometimes that gets me to a 10 out of a 10. Sometimes that gets me from a, a one out of 10 to a three, but it makes some kind of an improvement. Right. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's just a small little habit that I added to my overall process mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it's just, there's so many little things like, wearing particular like clothing um that i think motivates me or that i like the message to my training sessions it just it can be it's going to be different for everybody but there's a collection of these 0.1 percent little habits that you do that go into this overarching process that becomes your lifestyle Yeah. yeah and my point with that is that this works for a salesman it works for me as an entrepreneur who runs a fitness coaching business it's just that I don't apply the same level of severity to yeah. other things because I'm not trying to become as good as I can. Yeah. I just, there's a, a, a more, a lower end point that I'm satisfied with. Mm. So, you know, actually my business is just another vehicle for training. Yeah. And that was the whole point. It was always the point. I mean, I even told you about that and like Sam and our little group. Yeah. Well, mastermind. Yeah. yeah. Well, before it ever happened, the reason yeah. why I wanted an online business was so that, you know, I could make money while I sleep mm-hmm. and optimize my schedule for training. Yeah. And that's what I've done. You know, that's why I can do AM PM training sessions and, you know, eat six meals a day, perfectly spaced out, always getting eight hours of sleep 
the reason why I can do that is because I don't have a normal job. And that yeah. wasn't an accident. I yeah. identified yeah. that as something that I could control, a type of job that I could go create that would benefit my training the most. Mm-hmm. So I went out and did that, right? Yeah. But so it was it's just another thing that I put in place for training. Yes. Um, but the same things that allowed me to be to be good at training allowed me to make that business work. But it's also the same reason why I don't make a million dollars a year doing it. And there's people that do because I haven't pushed far enough into that process. I haven't looked at my blind spots. I haven't evaluated as much what I need to do to get better because it's currently at the level that I wanted it to be at. Yeah. And because that's not quite your goal to be to be a fitness billionaire, like 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 you said, but you've taken the little steps to get to where you want it to be, which is. Oh, which is, you know, having your business have you uh, give you the lifestyle or allow you to have the lifestyle that, that you have. And I think I think it's a pretty powerful thing, I guess, like realizing I think that I think that's the thing in terms of like optimizing your life or how bettering your life or having goals is just realizing the power in the little things that you change that can get you towards progress that any little I think. Well, that's the thing that, you know, that. I, I believe you have, and I, I've gotten towards this too, just realizing that every little positive thing you can do, it all adds up at the end towards your goal. Like, it doesn't matter, like, how inconsequential it is. Like, progress is progress, whether it's, like, it doesn't have to be huge. I think that's the thing. Some people feel that change needs to be so, like, drastic when, in actuality, like, only to progress, to progress, like, a little bit better like that that's the end goal if you get like you know what's they say like you get one percent better you get 0.1 percent better at something you're making progress towards something yeah it doesn't have to be like overnight yeah exactly and at our level which is again i don't mean to make it sound like we're like some fucking great amazing (laughs) athletes or something but just when you've been grinding for eight nine years at something um a, a radical change is probably fool's gold you know what i mean like yeah. it's probably not good like it's well, probably exactly. no, no back up. to the back to the variables that you're talking about you, you just say like yeah if you change like too many because or if you did make a radical change then like what part of the radical change was it you know that that caused that caused it if you if you change like too many variables in your life like you know who knows like because you've gotten to the point where you are doing a certain amount of things like if you do radically change it like especially for like a someone who's trying to get progress yeah you could end up stunting yourself or going back yeah um and, and then the the other <laughs> the other part of that is that most of the thing like the huge like 10 percent type improvements that you can make you made them a long time ago yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like when i when i learned how important it was to get enough sleep yeah, that didn't happen in year eight. That was like year two or three. Yeah. And then maybe by year four or five, you know, I had it perfected. Yeah. Um, nutrition, you know, that wasn't like I didn't save that for year 10. I didn't you know, realize that I can't eat cheeseburgers for every meal in year what? 10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all, all of the stuff that you could do that would give you like that 10 percent improvement, like, I don't know, go from training at your local YMCA Taekwondo class to training at Matt Hume's gym, you yeah. made those changes a long time ago. Yeah. And anything that promises those type of results is probably fool's gold. Like a funny example that comes to mind to me right now, something, yeah. something called polyphasic sleeping. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know. If oh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, th- this is like, 
what the Uberman sleeper where you take like power naps or like 15 yeah, minutes yeah. naps. Yeah. You do like one sleep cycle at a time. Yeah. So like you'll like sleep six times, six to, you know, five to five to eight times a day, but for only 90 minutes at a time versus the way that, or however long your full sleep cycle is. Whereas yeah. most people, you know, will, will get a full night's sleep and get yeah. five, eight of those consecutively. Yeah. So yeah, something like that. I had someone ask me about this the other day. Like, what do I think the validity of this is for um, powerlifting? And I was like, there's no research on this at all, but it's more than likely going to fuck you up. And we have all this data that shows getting continuous, long, restful <laughs> sleeps of eight to 10 hours is what's optimal for athletes. So oh, why do you want to, yeah. So why do you want to try this thing where you're going to do something completely different? It's probably fool's gold, even if it sounds good in theory, right? Yeah. Um, similar, there's similar things with like training style where it's like, oh yeah, instead of, you know, putting in these longer training sessions where you're focusing on high quality of volume, all you have to do is one all out set to the death. You know, <laughs> we're like lifting, right? Just yeah. one all out set to the death. And that's all the, the simulation that you need every week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff is just fool's gold, you know? Yeah. Um, it'd be like if somebody came along and told you that, you know, the, the thing that's going to take you to the next level is to completely abandon, you know, traditional uh, standard technique in boxing, yeah. right? So, Pressure points, bar, that's right? the key. Yeah, yeah. you're going to stand with your feet even now. Yeah. Not one foot behind the other, but your feet are going to be even yeah. and you're going to fight like this anime character or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, it's just most of these huge changes are fool's gold at, at a high level. And it's almost like you stop poo-pooing and, and um, shitting on these 0.1% changes because they end up being all you have left. Yeah. Oh, no, f- for sure. And I, well, I, th- and I think it's the, um, you know, it's the difference between uh, like yeah, just having like being a beginner and like I guess being kind of proficient in something is that you realize is yeah that there is no I don't know there, there is no magic pill or there's no like magic bullet you know to uh, you know to get somewhere you realize that it takes uh, you realize what it actually takes to progress in something and it's mainly it's mainly time and effort and really not not a lot else because a lot of people like when they uh, when they look at people, or when they look at mastery, or when they look at you know, people that are elite at their at their thing, they think about you know the amazing and the the highlights, you know, essentially. But really, a lot of stuff to get to really good at something, it's pretty boring. Like it's stuff that people don't think. Or back to like the Rocky, like you know, Rocky does this whole like, you know montage in like what two minutes, and all of a sudden gets instantly better. Like the actual training camp. <laughs> It's, it's not that like as you know you train it's not it's it's pretty it's a pretty you know, it's not it's not exciting yeah yeah no there yeah. there's nothing exciting about just like grinding away at a 12 week training cycle yeah for like one for like a day where you literally are going to be judged for like 20 minutes yeah yeah <laughs> so because i mean it's pretty similar in powerlifting as far as that goes like right where you might have three three minute rounds and and um mm-hmm some type of combat sport or three five minute rounds or five three minute whatever you know it's it's somewhere yeah. between like nine and 25 minutes right yeah it's on. not that long a time yeah. yeah and well imagine for powerlifting you get three yeah. attempts on three lifts so nine attempts they last about five seconds each mm-hmm. 
And so you, you train for three to four months for collectively one minute of performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's what you're going to be judging that entire four months of your life on, of whether or not it was um, worth it. Success or not, yeah. Yeah. So again, because it's almost it's almost helpful to think of this in terms of like a pyramid, and I'll I'll use like nutrition as an example. Probably like sixty percent of your success in nutrition is whether or not your caloric intake is appropriate for your goal, right? So do you want to lose okay. weight, gain weight, maintain your weight? Calories are like sixty percent of that. Okay. Then the next twenty percent is like the macronutrient breakdown, which is how much protein, carbs, and fats. And whether that's appropriate for how often you train, how much you train, um, whether you're trying to, again, again, gain weight, lose weight, maintain weight. So now we're up to like 80% of what accounts for progress. Then maybe like the next 10% is the food composition itself. So like, uh, you know, are you eating a lot of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, um, things like that? And eventually maybe we get down into the area where we're talking about like supplements, which could be like 1% to 2%. But then, you know, again, it's the process of like being an athlete is you already got those big foundational building blocks. Like, you know what your training schedule is. You're doing the technique work. You're doing the sparring. You're doing the drills. You're, you know, you know what times of days that, you know, what days you train, you know, what times of the days you train. You know that the quality of your instruction is good. You know that you have the appropriate training partners. You know, all of these things are taken care of. So it's really just this weird, like, last five to 10% that you're trying to optimize to gain any kind of a competitive edge. And it's just all these small things, very, very small things. Yes. But at the end of the day, champions are separated by a lot less than five to 10% usually. Yeah. That's what people don't respect. Like yeah. Usain, like if Usain Bolt, you know, like just for, you know, ease of math, yeah. he's not running a nine second hundred meter dash and then everyone else is running 10 and he beats his competition by a lot relatively speaking mathematically yeah so you know a lot of a lot of times even in in martial arts a win or a loss could be decided by point one second of reaction time where you just didn't quite get out of the way of a hook and it catches you flush on the chin versus you know you're just a little bit sharper you know to watch enough film to know what that guy's patterns are. And so you started the process of rolling or ducking or however you defend against that particular punch 0.1 second earlier. And it just, he, he fucking misses completely and you land a counter, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how close it is at the highest levels. Yeah. So, so it's easy to be like, dude, that's you're, you're being like neurotic about physical <laughs> um, habits, but yeah. that's because that's what it almost, it's almost like you run out of other ways to improve and the competition is going to be that close anyway. So you almost have no choice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. It's just realizing how those, yeah, those small variables that it all adds up. And then for, I guess, I don't know, we're using normal people or for like just every, or people who are, I guess, aren't, are are trying to become masters at something i mean they can take they can take that into account for like their you know their their everyday lives that something that that's what i think is kind of missing from people who are trying to achieve goals is just realizing that yeah it can be a big you know 10 percent change but that's because you have to think about like where you are 
towards like towards getting your goal yeah like towards actually achieving it it's like yeah it's because you're a beginner but to actually keep it it takes a lot to to, i mean this is it's not a lot of effort it takes uh it takes i guess a lot of um i guess uh thinking in terms of figuring out making small changes in your life and what you need to take away like from there you almost become like your own sociology slash science experiment yes yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a funny thing that happens too. Again, when you get people who are just like doing their best to help you, and they'll be like, "I lost twenty pounds by switching to keto," yeah. and I'm like, "That's cute." I remember when I had twenty pounds to lose. So yeah. it's like, yeah, like don't give me that advice. Like it doesn't apply to somebody who's been at this for a lot longer. <laughs> and yeah. I sound like such a fucking dick saying that, but it's no, again, but it's, no, but it's true. It's like you know, it's like a kindergartner yeah. trying to teach, I don't know, like a sixth grader, like oh that's that's great you know shapes i've known this too yeah or it's like oh you know you're a beginner in in kickboxing and you learn how to block a leg kick you just yeah. made like a fucking 30 percent improvement well guess what yeah. i think patolo learned that particular defense quite a fucking long time ago and so your <laughs> musings on defending the leg kick as a beginner really don't mean that much and there's yeah. there's nothing that he can do there's no secret throat punch or yeah. whatever, right? yeah. Bruce fucking insta death throat punch yeah. for him to learn that gives him the next twenty percent improvement. There is no twenty percent improvement left. It doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's literally just grinding away at things like slight differences in positioning of like your hands and wrists to make a grip stronger or to make a choke tighter. Like little tricks that people show you to like make it just that much tighter so that you actually get the person to tap versus just making them really fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. Those are some of the things that like I remembered and I was at a very low level. So it's just like, yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's, I mean, we're, I mean, I mean we've kind of beat this one into the ground a little bit. But yeah. It's it is we such beat, a, Yeah. We beat this micro adjustment by a lot, but yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, it just shows how important it is though. I mean, yeah. the same thing like for you, it's like, there's no fantastic technique that you're going to do that's going to add like 20 pounds to any of your lifts. You know? Nope. I mean, but maybe, people think there is all yeah. the time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. I'm sure you get that every, like, all the time. Yeah. And, but so it, the, it just shows what they don't know. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like if people came up to you, like, as like an instructor, and they're, this is what they do to me. This, I swear to God. <laughs> so they'll, they'll go, like, do you think I should switch from like sumo deadlifts to conventional or vice versa? It'd be the same as somebody coming up to you and being like, bro, you know, I've been watching a lot of videos and I'm thinking about switching to South Bar. I'm I'm, uh, actually right-handed though. What do you think? (laughs) I'm just like, they've, and and maybe certain instances of like very high level athletes, there could sometimes be these weird exceptions where like switching like that, like your primary stance or something makes a a big difference and it actually helps them. But like 99.9% of the time, it's just like, Look, you're not a beginner anymore. You're in that intermediate territory where, guess what? Now you've got to fucking grind and make all these little tiny improvements so that you can, like, you've got to work 10 times as hard to get 10, you know, t- 10 times uh, less results. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that willing, it's like that willingness and also understanding that you do have, yeah, that you do have to grind to get better at something. Like, that's a critical uh, I mean that it's a critical acknowledgement, and I think that's what um, you know. That's why I took a lot from you, like learning. Oh, because just seeing the way that you're able to, 
figure out, you know, how to make, you know, how to make, uh, how to progress further towards your goals, how to make your life better. And from there, I remember like learning a lot, like from you in terms of that aspect and in terms of figuring stuff out in terms of uh, just, I mean, not like you actually told me, but it's just like learning or just seeing from like, you know, the stuff you've done to optimize your life. And I think, oh, that, that, that makes a lot of sense towards yeah, the I think, yeah. I think that goes both ways, you know, because one of the cool things that we were able to do both like when it was just us two, but also, you know, uh, as part of like the various groups that we were in, yeah. it's kind of helped people pull back um, limitations on what is even like what what is even possible to change in the first place. Because mm-hmm. I think when you're just getting started, some of the stuff you can't even like conceive of, like yes. <laughs> the changes yes. that, that you could could make and should make like you you don't even think about that being possible like uh creating an online business so that you don't have to work like a nine to five and have that and have like your training be scheduled around that yeah um i don't even think you know that's something that a lot of people would conceive of or or even just like you know so many other different things like um adding meditation or, or you know some type of of um practice along those lines that helps you to get better control of your thoughts and emotions a lot of people don't even know what meditation is they just think it's like some weird spiritual thing like praying yeah going or something like that yeah like making voices and staring at a candle yeah i have nothing against um any of those things or praying for that matter but it's a little bit more involved with that and the (laughs) yeah meditation is different yeah 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 so yeah i mean i that's why it's again it kind of comes back to like the whole environment thing and being around other similar minded people because yeah. they can role model yeah exactly uh, wait you know so this reminds me i remember we were talking it was i forgot i forgot what athlete but i believe it was somebody it was like a baseball player from some small island or and then there was no other major league baseball players from that place until he became a major league baseball player and then oh yeah there was, like good yeah, it, no, it was a good. I'm not, but that's the, I forgot. I forgot who the example was. But do you remember what I'm talking about? I know exactly who you're talking. I know exactly the example that you're talking about, and I I cannot remember who it was at this moment in time. But oh, but, but, but it's a great example though. It's like once yeah. they once they figured out it was possible, it then became a possibility for the other people that were living in the same island. Like yeah, and it, and it's not just like a psychological thing because I think sometimes people hear those like kind of like the Roger Bannister one, right? Cause like everybody knows that one or a lot, a lot more people do. Roger Bannister was the first guy to break the four minute mile. Now you have like high school kids that do it. And so it's like at the time it was considered physically impossible to do. Yeah. That you had one guy do it. And then like within like three years, like nine people had done it or some shit like that, like something ridiculous. Yeah. But it's not just like psychological. It's people looking at what they did to achieve that result and then copying some of the practices and then over time that set of practices actually evolves further because somebody runs a 355 four minute mile Mm -hmm. and then somebody runs a 350 right and so the practices continue to evolve yeah and there's almost like in much the same way that language gets passed on collectively through generations like Mm -hmm. best practices for sports get passed on generationally so got a guy like say matt hume who's been um perfecting his system for 40 plus years or whatever yeah. and he passes it on to a new group of, of people who then are not starting from ground zero yeah exactly it's like it's it's that old um I, who was it? i think thomas edison said 
he stands on the shoulders of giants. It's like the collective knowledge base of these yeah. of these best practices get passed on, and that's why you know yeah they're not working from zero; they're working from you know fifty or just starting out from that, and that's how it progresses that collective knowledge. Exactly, yeah. and, and I, I like to tell some of my athletes this: like you, this is an over an oversimplification. I always frame it that way, but but I really think it's a powerful statement to make, and it's basically as an athlete. You, your quality as an athlete is the quality of your process. Yeah. And that that is as simple as I can put it as far as like summing up and contextualizing all these things that we've talked about as far as like the huge building blocks, but then also all the little habits. You are, as an athlete, a collection of all of those things. All of the sum of those things is leading you in a direction towards progress or it isn't. And all you can really do is tweak those variables and see if it leads to more progress. And over time you keep what works and you discard what doesn't and you continue to do that forever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's just how it goes. Yeah. yeah that's and just it's the like process. Yeah. Until you retire or you begin to teach and pass it on. But that's why I think that's, that plays as big of a role as, you know, a lot of other things and why athletes continue to improve because, you know, we come up with these better processes for equipment, for, um, supplements for training protocols for techniques and nobody starts from ground zero we pass these things along and the more of it that you can absorb the better because it just gives you your own time to once you've at least internalized <laughs> the initial part which like you know could take you 10 to 20 years yeah <laughs> but then you have your own 10 to 20 years assuming that you stick with it into and it's something that you can stick to into that older age to push it even further beyond and make it your own. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what's so fascinating to me about the process of mastery, especially in athletics, is that everybody just looks at it as like this physical thing, but there's an artistic element to it, a, philosoph a philosophical element. Um, it can really challenge you to grow in any area of life if you're willing to go deep enough. Yeah. Because, yeah, and especially in something like martial arts, there is going to be, once you've got mastery, individuality and creativity. I think that's one of the things that really makes it fun at the highest levels is to see how guys have individualized techniques and how they do such, such creative things that uh, on the fly, yeah. you know, on the fly in the heat of the moment. And it's just not something that happens without years and years of beating on your craft, to quote Will Smith. <laughs> of all yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, and uh, yeah, and it it actualizes itself in different ways for like for different people. But I think that's a, I mean, that that's a great point you made about the quality of uh, the quality of your process, like dictating pretty much like how you will be an athlete. And I think that's a, it's a pretty nice summation of what we've been talking about. Yeah. And on on that note, I I think it's about yeah. time. Yeah, it's about time. All right, man. Well, thanks for your time. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. And uh, thanks, thanks for listening, everyone that was there. And all right, goodbye.